the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good people from around the world who want to make a difference. The engagement and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed. The only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for episode number 402, The State versus Powell. I'm your host, Bob Ruff. And I'm your co-host, Mike Bussing. And I have very little of a voice at the moment. So just as a quick warning, we, we've we got a pretty good fair amount of questions to talk about in this week's Friday follow-up, uh, but I woke up with a pretty nasty case of laryngitis this morning. Um, so Mike, you're going to have to carry the show. Hey, you got it, man. So um, that being said, if this sounds bad, uh, the sound quality is bad or my voice sounds bad, or if we stop abruptly, uh, that's what's going on because uh, we have no choice with our schedule. We actually have to be back in the field again this week. Uh, so we had no, no other choice other than to record today. And of course, today's the day I wake up and my throat is on fire. We just got to push through the pain, right, Bob? Yep. <laughs> I'm glad you're so chipper. <laughs> yeah, it's usually the other, the other way around, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. All right. So um, we're going to get started. We've got uh, one quick break for our sponsor, and then we're going to get right into the questions. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Brooklinen. Becky and I have been sleeping on our Brooklinen sheets for a couple of months now, and we have been sleeping like babies. Brooklinen is luxury bedding underpriced, and your sheets are important. Have you ever thought about the fact that you spend a third of your life in your sheets? Are your sheets taking care of you the way they should be? Well, with Brooklinen.com, you can get the high-quality sheets and bedding you deserve at a price that won't keep you up at night. Brooklinen was founded in April of 2014 by a husband and wife team, Vicky and Rich, and their philosophy was that people deserve simple, beautiful home essentials without the luxury pricing. So Brooklinen cuts out the unnecessary markups and manufacturing waste in order to offer exquisite designs and exceptional savings across their entire collection. And they're the fastest growing bedding brand in the world because people love their products. Their sheets actually have over 12,000 five-star reviews. And they have versatile colors and patterns that you can mix and match to effortlessly complement any decor. Like I said before, this is luxury bedding, but underpriced. You've got to try these sheets today. I love my Brooklinen sheets, and I know that you will too. And right now, Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for my listeners. They're going to give you $20 off and free shipping when you use my promo code TRUTH at Brooklinen.com. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. So there's no reason not to give these sheets a try. The only way to get that $20 off and free shipping is to use my promo code TRUTH at brooklinen.com. That's brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Use my promo code TRUTH. Brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever.
All right, Mike, let's go ahead and get going. I know you got a bunch of questions over there, and uh, we'll try to speed up the pace a little bit because I feel like we've got about 20 minutes of my voice left. Hey, you got it, man. We'll start with this post from Audra on the Facebook fan page. She wants to know if since it's confirmed that George frequented the Valero station often selling his CDs, did the defense pull old surveillance video of George in that store to compare the robbery video? They didn't, but you know, you got to remember that these stores, when they have their surveillance videos, they record usually on a loop. Now, this is 2008, so we're not talking about you know back in the days of VHS tapes by any means, but even digital recorders, they only have so much hard drive storage. And so typically the tapes will loop and, you know, at best you're talking about maybe a week. And it wasn't until months and months down the road that the defense even need even knew that they needed to make the argument about hype. You know, they didn't know anything about the photogrammetry expert or anything like that until it got a lot closer to trial. Right, to where it was almost too late. It, it, it was, in fact, too late. Yeah. There's no way that video still existed at that point. And we have one post here from Debbie on the fan page, and she has six specific questions, so I thought we could break those down point by point. Okay, sounds good. All right, her first question is, during trial, did Powell's lawyers cross-examine the 7-Eleven clerk? If so, why didn't they have Powell stand up? Better yet, have him stand next to someone who was five foot one inch tall. They did cross-examine Melissa Keene uh, as I went through the statement, and I, and I thought the same thing. I thought, because, because again, like I mentioned last week, you know, it sounds like I, I don't think she realizes, and George says he doesn't think she has any idea how tall he was. Mm-hmm. And, and so I thought, well, why not just have him stand in front of her and kind of get the reaction? Well, number one, that's a risk, you know, because she may just say, yeah, that's him, and, and make it worse. Uh, but also you have to remember that court is not like TV. You can't just do whatever the hell you want to in court. I mean, right. You have to ask the judge's permission for the attorney to approach a witness. You, know, you can't just walk. You know what you see on TV where they're walking up there and they're leaning on the witness stand and they're stomping their hands down on the on the bench and you, know, you can't handle the truth kind of shit. You can't actually do <laughs> any of that in court. Right. Um, so if you ever like read trial transcripts, you'll see. As a matter of fact, I remember in um, Edward Eight's case in his trial transcripts, Louis Gomert, the judge was getting pissed off at David Dobbs and I think even Ed's attorneys a couple of times because they were approaching the witness without asking mm-hmm. and told him to get back or they were, you know, even for not wearing a jacket because it was hot. They really? taking their jacket off. Yeah. yeah. And, and keep in mind, now, we know that George Powell is is innocent. It's, it's obvious. I mean, it couldn't be any more obvious. And hopefully a lot of you went to the YouTube channel and watched those videos and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But the judge doesn't know that. And, uh, and and so it would be very much uh, imagine let's reframe this a little bit. Let's say this was a rape victim or even armed robbery victim and the defendant actually was guilty. The person that did it. OK. And we say we're going to go have this man that ruined your life, scared you to death, pointed a gun at you and gave you post-traumatic stress. And we're going to have him come over and stand towering over you from three feet away. Right. I think that would most certainly be considered witness intimidation. Sure. And it's it's hard for us to have that perspective because we know it wasn't him. You know, so it's it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but um yeah, there's just there's just no way that a judge probably would have allowed that, I I wouldn't think. And and even if he would, it's the same reason you don't put a defendant on the stand. You know, people say, Well, you're innocent, get on the stand and prove your innocence. It is it's just a terrible in any situation to subject anyone to cross examination. Unless there just happen to be, you know, like myself, I've been on the stand under cross-examination several times as as an expert witness, as just a witness in, you know, in, in arson cases and, and fires and things like that. 
um, and even through divorce and custody hearings. So I have a lot of experience with that, and I can handle uh, a lawyer's cross-examination of me probably a little better than someone who's never been in that situation. Uh, but even still, if I was a defendant in a crime, I don't think that I would want to be put on the stand either. It's just it's just such a huge risk uh, because you just because you have to remember also not like on TV, you know, on TV, a prosecutor or, or any attorney can stand up and basically testify and tell a story and and the, the witness can say whatever they want and they can go on. It's not like that. The, the attorneys can only ask questions. Right. They can't say anything. So they can only ask you questions and you can only answer their question. So it's it's real easy for a lawyer to ask you a series of yes or no questions without giving you the opportunity to explain your answer. Right. Or expand. Yeah. yeah. And make you look terrible. Sure. It, it has happened to me, specifically me on the stand. You know, and luckily when my attorney came back up for redirect, then I, the attorney that I was working for was able to clear it up. But they're. You know, I don't know. Did you do this? Yes, but not, yes or no? Yes. Did you do this? Yes. Did you do this? No. And and they, it's like playing chess, and it's like, ha, ah, checkmate, jerk. You look like a jerk, right? Um, and hopefully you got a good lawyer to come back. So anyway, yeah. So it's just it's just very much not like it's on TV. I thought the exact same thing. That's a good good question. Um, but I just don't think it it would be possible. I don't think it would happen. And again, I don't think that it necessarily should have, even if a judge would allow it. Because it's a big risk because you don't know what she's going to say. Yeah. Next, she asks, did the defense get their own photo expert to counter the prosecution's expert? No, they did not yet. For the next couple of weeks on the main episodes, we're going to get into uh, what happened with the Michael Knox, the supposed photogrammetry expert over the last nine years. Yeah. But at trial, no, there was no photogrammetry expert on the defense side. Okay. And then she asked, do we know any info, especially height, on Christopher Rainey? No, nothing yet. I haven't I haven't gotten into anything with Rainey. And I think what I, I'm probably jumping ahead of you because I know I, I saw that you put this uh, later on down the line. Because somebody asked, because I said Christopher Rainey's name, do I think he's a suspect? Or do I think that he committed the robberies or had something to do with it? And the answer is no. I don't know anything about him. We're We're hoping to reach out with the crowdsourcing and get some people to make some connections and really... I'm hoping that someone from the clean area, and and I think I'm going to do so this Friday when you guys uh, hear this, go to the the Truth and Justice podcast page, not the fan page, but our main page, and I'm going to pin a post much like we did with the Pleasant Grove case, um, with with Keal Gove's case, uh, for people that are to share that are in this geographic area or know people that were back in 2008, and we're going to try the crowdsourcing and see if we spread the word. If someone knows who committed these robberies and I acknowledge I could be wrong, but I still believe that the man that robbed that store got that second brand of cigarettes for someone else specifically. There's somebody out there that knows who robbed all of those stores. So but in any case, back back to Ramey, the only reason that I said his name and excluded the other name was that they're both both names are public record. You know, there's nothing wrong with us sharing those names. They're in police reports. They're in public trial testimony. There's nothing wrong with that. But I do try to limit sometimes as much as I when I know that I can. So, for example, the other defendant or the other suspect was it's absolutely zero possibility he did it. He was in jail at the time. So there's no reason for me to put his name out there when I know for a fact that he didn't do it, could not have done it. Also, I try to limit, especially we're cramming a lot of information into a very short period of time in this case, fitting it in before season five. 
And I don't want to throw more names out than we have to to really start confusing people. Sure. You know, so we're trying to, you know, limit it to the main air quote characters in the case. And that's also why, by the way, I saw somebody had, I think, tweeted at me, why are you repeating everything four times? And that's just it in this last episode, because I noticed it, too, when I was listening back that I did repeat things several times. And so I, I guess I kind of apologize to that. But it's also because it's a new case. There's a ton of information and a lot of names and a lot of details. And so I was kind of saying that episode, speaking in that episode the same way I would teach okay. new information. So it's like I'm trying to drive some of these names and, and, and pieces of information home by repeating them several times so that they, they really sink in so people can kind of catch up quickly, which I understand for some people that, that have a really good memories and really good retention. That's really annoying. But, you know, the hope is that everybody will get everything at the end of the day. But, yeah, as far as Rainy goes, don't know anything about Rainy yet, have not looked at him. And I think a lot of the stuff the Innocence Project of Texas has more information on, we just haven't gotten that far yet. It's not that I left his in for a reason. It was just that I left the other name out for a reason. Because I know there, there was just no, he's not a player in this. So there's no reason to even say his name. Next, she asks us, what was Powell's alibi for the time of the robbery? George was with his baby's mother, not his current fiance. Um, but he was, he uh, has a child with a woman. And I don't know if it was his girlfriend. I don't, I did know. I don't remember off the top of my head uh, if he was with her at the time, like if they were still together. But I, I do know that that's where he was at that evening. And uh, if to answer all of your follow up question, no, his defense did not call her at trial. And that was one of the things that George is really frustrated with is the fact that he says he told his attorneys that he was with her. And and I think it wasn't it something you were on the phone with us. Mm-hmm. They had they rented a movie. No, weren't they downloading a movie onto his laptop? That's right. That's right. That's right. Yes. They were, this was back, remember, this is back in 09 with the, the days of like LimeWire. Right. Where you could download uh, music and movies. And he was downloading movies onto his laptop. And he said, I think that his defense actually had taken his laptop for examination or something. Yeah. Wasn't that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I I don't know the details on it exactly, but I know that they did take it and they gave it to a specialist. And I don't know what they were able to prove. I think they said that it did show that the computer was actively being, somebody was operating the computer and downloading things on that computer at the time of the robbery. But... They couldn't prove that it was him doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also had the girlfriend who said, or the, the, his baby's mother, that says he was with her at the time. And a lot of that, you know, I'm getting directly from George, and he's just like, I don't, I don't know. You know, he had, a, he had a public defender that I'm sure had a million cases to deal with all at once. He didn't meet with him very often. You know, and he tells him, hey, I've got, you know, because probably everyone was expecting him to plead out. They only prosecuted him for the 7-Eleven robbery. And so he was facing charges of robbing a store and taking $12 and four cartons of cigarettes. And he got 28 years. Well, I'm sure they were offering him way less than that, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of years, a couple of two, three years. Uh, but he wanted to go to trial to prove his innocence. And I think that there wasn't a lot of communication with the lawyer. And I think the lawyer was probably kind of shocked that it actually had to go all the way through with the trial. At the end of the day, he just didn't do what George wanted to do. And that's why George said he thinks they didn't prosecute him for the other robberies because they, after that trial, George wanted to fire his attorney and was specifically saying, I want, we are going to do this, 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 because he knew now 
what the prosecution's case was. Right. And so now he George himself knew how to because George is a sharp guy. I mean, we've talked to him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's a very sharp guy. And he knew how to defend himself going forward. Yeah. And then they just dropped all the other charges. They never tried him for him. So another long answer to a short question, but that was his alibi is that was he was with his baby's mother and she was not called. Okay, next she writes, doesn't the Innocence Project of Texas have access or the ability to contact Melissa, the 7-Eleven clerk? Probably. Um, and, and I only say that because, uh, like I said, things have been moving real fast and you know I'm working multiple cases at once. Allison is our point person on this case and she's working multiple cases at once. Uh, before we sat down to record, I, I did ask her that question, but I, I haven't heard back from her yet. And like I said, we were on a deadline to record. Yeah. So hopefully next week I'll have a better answer to you for all of you for that. Um, but as of right now, I don't know. I haven't, I know, I haven't heard anything about Melissa Keene being a witness or anything in the post conviction relief. So I think that either means they haven't talked to her or they did talk to her and she's not changing her story. Mm-hmm. It could go either way. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, but I'm not sure. But next week, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, uh, we're actually going to have um, George's fiance Tamara, on the show. And I guarantee you she will know the answer to that. She knows the case better than anyone. Okay. And then she writes, do we have any additional info about the voice recording and identification? Was there multiple voices played? Was it Powell on the recording? Was the recording from an actual robbery? I don't have these recordings yet. We're trying to get them, you know, they're getting jockeyed around a bunch of attorneys to get to me. Uh, but my understanding is that they had George repeat the words that were said at the 7-Eleven robbery and record it. Okay. So, you know, they had him say, give me all the money, give me the hundreds, something like that, or give me the lotto money or whatever it was. And they played that for Melissa Keene, the cashier, is my understanding. So that that all happened in her testimony. And also, I know there's questions about getting the, the documents up on the website, and we're trying. I'm going to try to work on that yet this afternoon. The issue is these do- nothing is redacted. So it's not as simple as me grabbing and throwing stuff out, and I want to be very careful about... I mean, I mean, some of these documents have social security numbers on them. Oh, wow. You know, so I have to meticulously go through so that this is not Chris's fault that the stuff is, up, is not up yet. I just have not been able to get the stuff to Chris yet. And I know he's got a couple of people, I think, that are helping with the website now. But that's I just haven't had the time to go through every report and pull out birthdays and addresses and Social Security numbers and all of that stuff. So that's why the documents aren't up yet. But in Melissa Keene's testimony, uh, my understanding is that they brought the photo lineup to her. I, I just feel like they, they must have been trying pretty hard to convince her to pick Powell, uh-huh. because in the same visit, they're playing the tape for her, and she says a trial, a trial when she's testifying that, yeah, that's definitely the voice. That's the person, which maybe is true. I think, who knows? I just, that her whole testimony is just frustrating for me because I feel like she got cornered and pushed into, it's real easy for someone who legitimately wants to help and was actually assaulted themselves and wants something solved. For an authority figure to convince them that, you know, pointing here is the right thing to do. Right. You know, it, you know, without without maybe being so obvious about it. But I really I mean, I, I read through again her. I, I, I watched the video many times. I've read through her handwritten statement. I've read through a trial trial testimony. I don't think there's anything malicious there with her. You know, I, I really think that she just was and I, and I don't think she's lying or think she's lying for the right reasons or anything like that. I think that she's just been convinced 
that that's what she remembers. Right. And by people of authority or what she may have viewed as the good guys, you know? Exactly right. right. Yeah, exactly right. Listener Don McElhaney on the fan page had a thought that maybe it was a soldier from Fort Hood who had gotten deployed. Yeah, I actually jumped into that conversation a little bit, too, and uh, there's a lot of varying opinions on this. So my first thought was, I've seen the video, the guy has a goatee, eh, not in the military. Uh, if you're on a base in the military, unless you're you know deployed and in special forces, you're going to be clean-shaven all the time. You're required to be. However, you know you never know, maybe the person could be on, on vacation, or you know, they, you know, sometimes they'll give you a vacation before you deploy. Other people have suggested that maybe it was you know, the family, maybe his wife or girlfriend or parents were in the military. Because it, and the reason this comes up is because Fort Hood is right there. Right. It's right there in Colleen or right next to Colleen. I don't know. It's, it's a good thought. I mean, because I do believe that the robbery stopped for a reason. To me, it just, you know, the facial hair to me was the giveaway to say that, no, it's probably not a military person. But as many listeners pointed out on that discussion, there are several possibilities uh, that could explain that. You know, like some of them being maybe he's on R&R before he gets deployed, uh, on vacation, maybe he's injured. Who knows? It could be it could be anything. So good thought, Don. All right. And then Dean Vivian noticed that in Melissa Keene's statement, she says that the robber specifically directed her to retrieve the lotto money from the little box. She's wondering if this could mean that he has intimate knowledge of how these convenience stores work. Like maybe he's a former employee. I was really wondering the same thing. Uh, based on when he said that, you know, and she's right, specifically he says, first of all, he tells her to lift up the drawer to give her the hundreds. Right. And that was consistent with some of the other robberies, too. So he's at least aware that they hide the big bills. And, and then he says, give me the lotto money. It's in that black box or that little box. Uh, and then Melissa says, you know, she doesn't know what he's talking about. And it's clear from her report and her testimony, she didn't know what he was talking about. So could mean a couple of things. Uh, could be he knows somebody that works in a convenience store. Could be he used to work in a convenience store. The thing that threw me off, though, was he says he knows exactly where the lottery money is, but he's wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know anything about the Texas lottery at this point to know if maybe it's different in different convenience stores. So one way or another, this guy is familiar, I think, with the way these stores operate. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he uh, has worked, you know, as we're kind of building a profile. Um, you know, we talked about someone being kind of, you know, typically soft-spoken, probably pretty much a generally, I think he's a guy, this is probably a nice guy. He's even tempered, probably down on his luck. I think he's a guy that, that has low self-esteem and it's important to him that he impresses people outwardly. You know, and you can tell that even, even by looking at his dress, the clothes he wears. I mean, he's so broke, he's hitting up gas stations for $11, $75, $150 on a regular basis, but he's not wearing cheap clothes and he's not wearing a cheap hat or sunglasses. So, you know, these are just kind of, to me, a profile who we'd be looking for. Sorry, somebody around five foot seven, five foot eight back then in their late 20s, I think, or early 30s, soft spoken and probably, like I said, generally a nice guy, a little bit low self-esteem. Uh, kind of reminds me of Jim Clemente's old profile back in season one of Truth and Justice. You know, he's a guy that, you know, he would probably have a, a really clean car if he had a car, you know, to make it look nice. And I would not be surprised if this guy has worked at a convenience store before and had a little bit of knowledge of that or, uh, you know, has dated somebody that has or has a parent who has. You know, I could see him being, you know, mom worked at a 7-Eleven growing up and he knew where they kept all that stuff back right. then, something like that. All right. And the most common question since this week's episode dropped has been, 
why didn't the defense use the Valero clerks at trial to prove George's innocence? To be honest with you, I've got to get deeper into the trial to confirm that they didn't. Um, it's my understanding, and I only say that because I've you know I've had discussions with the attorneys and with George, and and we've kind of alluded to this, but I've never poignantly asked that question. But my assumption has been that they did not use them at trial, and if that's the case, which is I, I believe it is, I just I'm just kind of putting this disclaimer out there because I'm still learning the case at the same time as we're talking about the case. Um, but I believe it's because he wasn't charged with that case. So, you know, again, you have rules in court, you know, that the defense, the prosecution or the defense, either side can file motions before the judge to stop or for to disallow them to use particular pieces of evidence. You know, that was they think of the Kerry Max Cook case. You know, they had they had tons of evidence that was exculpatory for him. And the prosecution said, we don't want them to be able to use that evidence for fill in the blank reason. And the judge said, nope, you can't use it. And now that was very a very crooked judge and a very crooked prosecutor in that case. Here, it would be, I'm charging you officially, you're being charged with robbing a 7-Eleven store. And then the defense says, I want to introduce the video and the witnesses from this Valero robbery down the street. And the, it would be fine, except for the prosecution would likely say, file a motion and say no. They, you know, a motion to exclude that testimony. Say that has no, there's no relevance. That robbery has nothing to do with this robbery, uh, and try to get it thrown out. So I don't know if that happened. I don't know if they didn't even consider it. You know, again, I I think that the defense attorneys, the public defenders that were defending George, I think they were blindsided a little bit at trial, and not that you know the prosecution put on some crazy amazing case that they never saw coming. It's just they did. They're literally defending a guy who is going to trial for robbing 11 bucks or 12 bucks in a couple of cartons of cigarettes. I think he's going to plea. He's not going to plea. They're just, I just don't think they put, seems like they didn't put the time into it to really, really prepare for his defense. And so that could have something to do with it too. And lastly, Brendan tweets, how can an expert not even do full measurements before testifying under oath? Hashtag gobsmacked. Well, I think that's a good one for us to end on because I'm I'm actually in a lot of pain right now. <laughs> yeah, you look like you're hurting, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not doing well. But as we mentioned earlier, the next, the, the, I mean, the photogrammetry was the key to George's case. It's a part of George's case that has has really brought it to the public's attention. What brought it to our attention is the photogrammetry expert. I mean, this is there's lots and lots and lots and lots of cases of actual innocence out there of wrongful convictions. But man, I've never seen one. I've never seen one where you have video proof of who did it, and what seems to be absolute proof that it could not have been the person who was convicted, uh, and he gets convicted anyway. Um, so a lot of this revolves around photogrammetry, and that is going to be the topic of next week's main episode, episode four oh four. So not this coming Sunday, but the the Sunday after that. And we're going to hear how that testimony was brought into question. Um, you obviously, those of you listening, are not the only ones that thought that was really BS. And uh, we're going to hear how that, that got brought into question, where it got sent, and what the final conclusions are, and how George ended up back in court today because of it. So that'll be next week. Now, this week, in two days from now, on Sunday, episode 403, we're going to hear how the state's case began to break down and fall apart. When the jailhouse snitch, the man we've been referring to as Mr. Smith, 
recanted his trial testimony. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is our executive producer. All music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. Thank you to Chris Brinkley for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. Thank you to Amanda Meyer for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. Thank you to our transcription team, Stephanie McConnell, Anna Dindorf, Sarah Mueller, and Britta Bliss. And thank you to Desiree Dunn for printing off and mailing the transcripts every week. And as always, I want to thank all of you for all of your engagement and support. Don't forget to send your thoughts, theories, and ideas or any tips into theories at truthandjusticepod.com. And also, our voicemail line also serves as a tip line, and that is 269-224-2833. If you're from the Killeen or Copperas Cove area and you were around in 2008, please share this case on social media. Share the YouTube videos of the robberies. Go to our Facebook page at Truth and Justice with Bob Ruff. You'll find a pinned tweet with information about the case. Anyone who knows anyone from this area, from the Colleen and Copperscope area, back in 2008, please share that amongst your friends. Let's try to get the word out and see if we can't find the person who actually committed these robberies and get George out of prison. And don't forget, you can also follow us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Busting. And this has been Truth and Justice. No bloopers today. Well, that's a first. Yeah, we, we did pretty good. Straight to business. Yeah, I really had not much of a sense of humor since my throat's on fire. You look like you're dying.